and welcome to Setting the Skein. I'm Ben. I'm Doug. I'm Elijah. And once again, Tristan is not here because Tristan He's is a busy fella. He's a loser. Oh, you Actually, say he was busy. Yeah. You uh, say he was busy. All right. Yeah. I'm, Tristan, you're I'm, busy. Uh, I'm here to replace him, though. It's true. <laughs> we, we have a wonderful guest this week. Doug, why don't you introduce him? Sure. Uh, so this week, uh, we have have our wonderful uh friend bijou edda um on uh bijou's sister amara edda uh was a previous guest on uh some jerks talk about movies uh but uh but this week we have bijou on bijou why don't you tell the folks who you are what you do the the floor is yours cool uh yes my name is bijou edda i'm surprised you got my last name right but i guess that should be expected because you are close to my sister so oh, i got it i got it down. <laughs> Yeah, but um, I'm Bijou. I'm um, who am I? I'm a I'm an improviser uh, based in Atlanta. Um, I like doing improv and shows and stuff. And also, um, I work with computers in my work life, uh, at specifically Max, and that's just a lot of fun. And uh, that's the extent of my bio. All right. Well, lovely. Uh, yeah. Seriously. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on, Bijou. Yeah. Uh, I'm really excited for this week uh, because Ben. This week we are continuing our uh, our Black History Month series. We are continuing uh, mm-hmm. highlighting up uh, Black filmmakers. Um, and, and instead uh, of talking about Denzel Washington this week, we're talking about his son, John David Washington. That's accurate. And the director of his son uh, is one of well in this film. Great, huh? In this film, not like yes, in, in this life. film. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so the director of the film that we're talking about is one of the greats, uh, Mr. Spike Lee. Uh, if you haven't caught on yet, the movie we're talking about this week is Black Klansman. Uh, came out in 2018, uh, holds a 7.5 out of 10 on IMDb, a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes, an 83% on Metacritic, and 91% on Google because Google rates movies now it makes no sense um but uh yeah like ben said stars john david washington as ron stallworth and then you have adam driver topher grace laura harrier uh Corey hawkins jasper i'm not gonna try to say his last name there's a lot of accent marks on that um and ryan brother and steve buscemi's brother and steve buscemi's brother uh john i think uh yes i think I think Jasper's last name is pronounced Pakonan. Pakonan? Okay. Sweet. Or or Pakonan, if it was. That's what it looks like. I don't know. It almost looks like Panacokin, like the Dutch pancakes. (laughs) Let's just call him Jasper Panacokin. How about that? Okay. Jasper Panacokin. Um, (laughs) Yeah. uh, This movie came out in 2018. Budget of $15 million. Grossed uh, $49 million in the U.S. and $93 million worldwide um i believe it it did win one oscar Mm -hmm. one for best adapted Uh, screenplay was nominated for best motion picture best achievement in music um best achievement in directing best performance by an actor in a supporting role and best achievement in film editing yeah this movie this movie came out and like it got a lot of love i would say i I would say it got a lot of love um i'm sorry i'm just I'm sorry. I'm just gonna say one last thing. Um, it's based on the real life uh, tale of a of a detective Ron Stallworth who uh, was a police officer for the the uh, Colorado Springs Police Department and infiltrated the Ku Klux Klan. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's and an Andrew interesting Cole, story. Um, everybody, including David Duke, uh, that moron, um, for years. Because, uh, who's, who's David Duke for the people? Oh, um, <clears throat> he is the former uh, Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. That's why I said that moron. The, <laughs> the Grand Wizard and National Director. They make yes. a point in the movie that yes. he changes the title a little bit so that he can get his foot in the door in politics. Right. Because Grand Wizard sounds ridiculous. <laughs> right. I mean, there was a time when you could get your foot in the door in politics being a Grand Wizard. But that time passed a long time ago, so he had to change the title. <laughs> so I think it's really interesting that they always refer to it as the organization. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a PR it's right, a PR right. rebranding issue. Oof. 
because they know how shitty Ku Klux Klan sounds. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. So has everyone seen this movie before? So I um, I only just watched it for the first time yesterday after I found wow. out that I was, was going to be yeah. on this. <laughs> wow, so I was but, the only person who had seen this film before. That's But that I, I will say often. it was on my bucket list to watch eventually. I just didn't know when I was going to do that. I don't really watch a whole lot of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like one of those that's like, yeah, I definitely want to see that. Just when? I don't know. But I guess it was it was yesterday. That's when it happened. Yeah, my story is similar. I wanted to see this when it came out, um, but I never did. And, you know, we rag on Ben on this podcast for having not seen almost all of the movies that we talk (laughs) about, but I'm kind of in the same boat. Maybe not to the same extreme, but often when Ben hasn't seen the movie, I haven't either. And And then there's always a random movie like every couple months that I've seen that no one else has seen. Right. But it is (laughs) how much culturing you've received. Yep. It's just a random sprinkling. But yeah, I'm a, I, I was going to say I'm ashamed to admit this is the first Spike Lee movie I've actually watched all the way through. So this one and Do the Right Thing were the ones that everybody says you have to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I still, before yesterday, I'd never seen a Spike Lee movie. So this is new to me. Plus, I'm kind of one of those people that doesn't keep up with directors a whole lot. I'm changing because mm-hmm. I realize, you know, I'm... I recognize how much work directors put in and how much of their vision we, we end up getting to see and how uh, it's kind of shallow not to give them credit. Uh, but there's very few directors that I really pay attention to. Spike Lee was a name that I've known for a long time and I wanted to see Do the Right Thing and Black Klansman when it came out, but just hadn't got around to it until we did this episode. Yeah, I don't think you need to feel bad about that because, I mean, for me, I've only seen one other Spike Lee movie and that was Inside Man. Um, mm-hmm. which was great. I really did like that one a whole lot. But I, I also don't really keep up with directors that much. So, um, but I, and I also, I've seen the remake of She's Gotta Have It, the Netflix series that was based on a movie. Uh, this is Spike Lee's first movie, I guess, um, which was very good. I don't know how much he was involved in that, but it was, um, it was also pretty great. So, yeah. Um, This is my first time seeing this movie. Uh, I have seen Do the Right Thing. I believe that's the only other Spike Lee movie I've seen. Um, But but yeah, I was looking forward to watching this. The minute we put it on the schedule, I was like, finally. It's not that I... It's not that I intentionally revolve my movie watching schedule around this podcast, but it very much is the case. Yes. Like it, it does happen a lot. I mean, just when else would you watch movies other than for podcasts? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I I have had professors uh, back and ask forth me, to Americas. Say that again. I said driving back and forth to Americas. Yeah, um, I've had professors who have like asked me like why we why I put so much time into this podcast, which I mean that doesn't hurt me. Uh, psychologically at all uh, to be asked that by a professor but um but i always say i'm like you know it gives me a valid reason to just watch movies randomly throughout the week so and i mean it is time it is. with your friends yeah, yeah yeah exactly so ben being the only person who has watched it why don't you tell us your experience with it okay uh well um when this movie first came out i i'd been really wanting to see it it looked really interesting I'm a big fan of both John David Washington and Adam Driver. So I was sold. Um, I ended up not seeing it until it was on HBO, um, which is not on there anymore. Um, But I remember I sat down and watched it with my sister, Haley. uh, And after it was over, we kind of turned to each other and like, huh, that punched me in the face. (laughs) Because it's a Spike Lee movie and not... I don't want to speak generally, but I feel like a lot of times Spike Lee movies tend to punch you in the face, which is not always a bad thing. Well, right. I I will use that as a segue into our first talking point. Um, That's what I set you up for. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. Hey, look, you throw one down the middle. I'm going to swing. Um, uh, yeah, no. So Spike Lee, I mean, I think <laughs> Seminole is the right word, right? Seminole? Yeah. 
I use the word. Um, like a Go seminal filmmaker, uh, especially in terms of like uh, in terms of like uh, black filmmakers, because every single movie that he makes uh, speaks like very pointedly to a the racial divide in the U.S. and in the country and in the world. Um, but like you know. It, it doesn't pull any punches. Mm-hmm. It doesn't try to like romanticize it or uh, make it better than it actually is. No, I mean, he just tells you like it is. Um, and that is on full effect here. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, like, I think this is one of, I think this is one of the few movies that he's done that did get considerable oscar recognition um i could be wrong actually i'm gonna shut up for a second and i'm gonna fact i'm gonna confirm that Um, (laughs) oh okay yeah um so i mean he he really is someone who he knows exactly what he wants to say and he says it without hesitation. And that is on full effect here in this movie. And I think that's really warranted. Um, I think that's really warranted with the story that's being told here, because uh, for those of you who don't realize it, this is the first movie that we've done on the show that is fully based on to on a true story. And like, he tells it most likely how it went down. Um, you know, if another filmmaker directed this, you wouldn't have gotten the ending you got. You wouldn't have gotten the take you got. You wouldn't have gotten the realism and the actual issues there at the forefront of the film being discussed the way that they need to be discussed. And I feel like, in my opinion, uh, Spike Lee is like the only one who could do it and do it justice. Um, yeah. I mean, personally, I would love to see M. Night Shyamalan take a crack at this story. That'd be interesting. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree. I um, I really appreciated how uh, how on the nose everything was. Like, they, he, he really did not pull any punches and, you know... Um, Scott, white people saying the N-word all over the place, like how as casually as they would do it in actual conversation. And uh, you just have to appreciate that, uh, letting that be shown and just like seeing how ridiculous it is um, when they talk about like, oh yeah, I want to kill all these N-words and stuff. It's like, whoa. I mean, I guess that really was how it was back in the 70s. Yeah, I think the ridiculousness um, is very similar to uh, what Taika Waititi did in Jojo Rabbit with how often people who were part of the Third Reich had to say Heil Hitler literally every time someone walked in the room. Uh, Like there's one scene where I think it said something like 25, 30 times within like a minute because there's like 10 people all in the same room all saying that right at once just to show off the pure ridiculousness of it yes ben i hadn't thought about that but i'm glad you brought that up and without spoilers of jojo rabbit for those who's who are listening who haven't seen it that i think it's the same scene you're talking about ben where there's actually a character who is jewish who's having to pretend that she's not in order to to protect herself and so she's having to say Hal hitler and all these anti-semitic things in the scene for self-preservation that's pretty similar to what we see characters doing in this movie oh, yeah. as they're infiltrating the KKK and trying to convince mm-hmm. them that we're cool. We're racist like you, you know? And so they're just saying horrible things that they would never want to say. Otherwise, I hope. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I feel like you see it in um, both uh, Ron and Flip's faces every time that they have to say something. Um, like you can see the pain in their face and, God, I, I really just love John David Washington and Adam Driver. They're both incredible actors. Also, uh, getting back to this for just a second, uh, I did double check, um, but Klansman is the only Spike Lee movie to receive um, a lot of Oscar buzz. Uh, Do the Right Thing was nominated for 
uh, best writing screenplay written directly for the screen uh, in 1990. It did not win though. Okay. Okay. Uh, going off of this point of, you know, it, it really does highlight like the, the struggle that, you know, like Ron has to be facing to say these things and do these things that he's, that he has to do in, in order for the investigation to go uh, well. I think that's why the, um, the uh, Colorado Black Student Union, uh, Patrice, uh, his love interest, I think that's why, I think that's why she's so important to this film. Cause like, she really does give you that, that not, she hasn't set up for a dichotomy. Actually, yes, she does. She does set up for that, a very good dichotomy of, you know, Ron in his mind and in his justification is doing everything he can to to get the job done that needs to get done and protecting and protecting uh his race his people um and patrice in her mind is doing the exact same thing uh going after the same cause, but by very different means. And I think that's why she's such an important character because she really does, she really does give him a great point of like, of like, you know, you can say that you're, you can say that you're doing all the right things. You can say that you're doing this for all the right reasons, but you really are damned if you do, damned if you don't to Ron, basically. I don't know if anybody else got that, but that was like very much so what I was getting out of her character. I mean, I, I think it was definitely interesting to watch because I mean, I think it's very clear that they both wanted the same thing. I think that they, I mean, like you said, they both had different outlooks on how to get there. And I know that uh, Patrice didn't believe that Ron would be able to do anything from where he was. Um, but do y'all get the vibe that maybe Ron thought that Patrice shouldn't, should or shouldn't go about doing it the way that she was? What are y'all's thoughts on that? He definitely wanted to keep her safe and right. he thought she was putting herself in danger unnecessarily, which is a little rich considering what he spends this whole movie <laughs> doing. Right. He's in a tremendous amount of danger. True, but he is a Moyen also. So I mean I think that um, uh, I I just feel like they were both trying to do similar things but with different methods right um, so he there was one point in the movie where he was like or like after he was revealed that he was working in the police department it was like no I'm trying to change it from the inside and she's like well you can't change it from the inside um, and it's not it never really was resolved like whether or not anything was actually changed mm -hmm. because, you know, uh, not to get ahead of the story or whatever, but, you know, by the end of the movie, you know, he was like, Hey, it's cool that you guys did this, but now you have to destroy all the evidence and pretend like this never happened. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like, you know, the slate was clean, like, sure. We infiltrated the KKK, but so what? Um, and so like, they both had a point. It's like, yes, he was able to do this very incredible thing, but mm -hmm. also, was it for not um and also like thinking about uh how the rhetoric of the whole thing is like still continuing on to this day it's like mm -hmm. how much of it was really <clears throat> effective and who which like in both of their methods which one is more correct and that's that's not really clear so i feel like they both had a point in that too yeah, yeah. definitely uh, i will say i don't think um it was all for not I mean, obviously, the story was not completely destroyed. It, I mean, we, we still know a lot about it, but, like, even at the time, um, like, we see kind of a shift in, within the police department because all throughout the film, there's this <clears throat> police officer, um, Landers or something, who is constantly shown to honestly just be completely and openly racist throughout the entire film. And, and in other ways right and throughout mm -hmm. the entire film the chief um is just kind of nonchalant about the whole thing but at the end they finally get the chief on board and end up catching landers saying 
essentially confessing to everything. So I feel like there is at least a tiny shift, even if it wasn't like massive change that it should have been. There was a shift there. I'm going off the rails a little bit from the order we were going to talk about things, but that that scene where they catch that dirty cop, that abusive cop, mm-hmm. um, you know, seeing him get his due recompense was satisfaction we all wanted from this movie. But I thought that scene was corny. I agree. I mean, I would agree. I yeah, would I also like say that. Um, Ron's final uh, phone call with uh, David Duke was a little corny too, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, it it did get to a point where it was almost just like, like they were just rattling off all the things that we wanted to see right. in this movie. You know, just so I think it also probably doesn't help that I don't think that uh, David Duke found out that Ron Stallworth was black until years later. That's true. Right. I looked it up. Yeah, because that phone call didn't actually happen. Right. Um, neither did the scene that we thought was corny, where they nail that abusive cop mm. and the bombing of the uh, Black Student Union home situation. Mm. That didn't happen. That was made up for the movie. Um, and I'm not saying I have a problem with dramatizing a true story for a movie, um, mm. but that is something that uh, I was... Re- of course i just read the wikipedia page that's all the research i did but according to wikipedia (laughs) this movie got some criticism because of that um because the true story didn't include the bomb Mm -hmm. or nailing that cop or anything like that yeah Um, and i I think that's a fair criticism um i like i understand why it was put in or at least like the way that i perceive why it was put in is because the ending isn't particularly happy um Mm -hmm. and usually people like watching movies to feel happy and i i don't think there's a lot of reasons to feel happy in this movie and i don't think there should be either but i understand why it was put in and me personally i it would have felt more realistic if that cop that got caught didn't and just got to keep doing what Mm -hmm. he's been doing because that comports more with the reality that we do see is like you know, a cop will shoot a black person unarmed, or there's a lot of uh, the sexual abuse that goes on as well. And for the most part, they get away with it. Um, it's it's it doesn't always wrap up in a nice bow. Where you know, like, and the even the setup was like very corny. How they <laughs> like just had him walk into a random bar, and they mm-hmm. all just happened to be there, and they knew exactly what he was gonna do. Sure. Um, yeah. And even then just because he got taken away in that moment doesn't necessarily mean that he's actually going to be going to jail because there's a thousand different protection systems there for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, w- it was very much, that was, I feel like that scene was the most pandery of all of them. Yeah. To and like they the even kind of allude to some of those like protections for him earlier in the movie. Uh, like when they first, um, when uh, Ron and um, Landers first get into it, I don't remember exactly who it says, but I, I think it was actually Flip that says it. Uh, something about like, you know, it's a brotherhood. Like, who's going to go after him? Are you going to go after him? Right. And he, they say we protect our own, right? Right. And that's when um, Ron says, that reminds me of another group, referring yeah. implicitly to the KKK, um, comparing them to the police. That was a good moment. Um, mm-hmm. And Bijou, you pointed out that the movie doesn't really end happy. The movie... Um, you know, it's dealing with dark and heavy things and it's not all headed towards a happy ending. So mm. the fact that we get those scenes with that little bit of justice, uh, maybe the reason it struck some of us as corny is because it's kind of like tonally inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. You know, like the, the movie was never headed for a happy ending, but we get these little like mini happy endings and it feels a little off kilter. Yeah. Um, it very much feels like a movie with two endings because there is that moment where the chief says, Hey, great job. Destroy all the evidence. You cannot go to the press with it. And I mean, you can look at the book that Ron saw the actual Ron saw war, uh, wrote. I mean, he didn't get published until 2014. Mm. Um, so like, I mean, you know, like, I mean, nobody's gonna hear about this for the better half of a century um and you know the movie 
could end right there and be the punch that that I think the rest of the movie is building up to. I mean, I think you could even take it a step further to the next scene um, where they're in his apartment. You hear the knock on the door. They come out to the window and see the burning cross. Yeah. Yeah. But the fact that after we've seen all of that, they still go back and show us these like small scenes that are purely fictional that the thing it reminds me of is uh, when Jordan Peele made Get Out, he had two endings for the movie. He had one ending in which has everyone seen Get Out? Nope. I have, I've seen it, um, but I did not. I've only seen the regular ending, I guess. I, I don't hey, think Doug, I've seen any do alternates. You, Doug, do you want us to just plug our ears and then watch Get Out before this episode airs? <laughs> yep. Yep. I 100% right. do because I need to make this point. Okay. You're fine. I'll so, edit this later. So, yeah, go on. Yeah. Okay. So, so at the end of Get Out, um, crap, what's his name? Um, Daniel, the actor Daniel Kaluuya? Yeah, yeah, Daniel Kaluuya's character. I forget what his, what his character's name is. Um, uh, so, Daniel Kaluuya, um, he has, he's shot uh, his girlfriend um and is on and is on top of her like chris her out huh chris washington chris uh and then you see the red and blue lights and in the movie in the ending that everyone else got it's revealed it's uh ron uh tsa uh right uh, chris's friend and it's like oh huge sigh of relief like everything's okay the original ending for that is Chris is on her choking her out you see the lights and it's the actual cops and they arrest him for mur- for first degree murder wow and he gets put in prison and Jordan Peele was like asked he was like he was, people asked you know why did you change the ending and he said because no one would have seen the movie no one would have talked about the movie if I kept it in like nobody wants to go and see a movie that's purely that like leaves your character like in such a bad place. And I feel like, I feel like that might've been the position that uh, Spike Lee was in or whoever the distributor of this was is just, you know, people won't come and see a movie that ends so sadly, so like uh, dismally, but you know, I said this before, like, Spike Lee's <laughs> reputation precedes him. Like it, it will be a punch in the face. Mm-hmm. And I feel like these extra scenes just kind of downplay it so much. I mean, I think yeah. even like on top of like having these scenes in there to kind of almost prop up the ending to give you, you know, more of a happy feeling. He takes that away from you almost immediately, putting in the footage from uh, the Charlottesville uh, riots. It's like any happy ending you thought was there. It's just nope. Here's also all this stuff. This all is still happening today. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, what's up? It's your old pal Ben. You already know why I'm here to interrupt the action with a few announcements. Uh, before I get started on those, I do just want to say thank you to each and every one of you who is listening. Um, we really couldn't be doing what we're doing without your support. So thank you for taking some time and listening to us. Now, if you're interested in signing up for a Patreon, you can get all sorts of cool bonus content. We've got bonus episodes. You can get early access to our episodes. I mean, you get to listen to us, but a week early, which is awesome. Uh, another great way you can show your support is by going to our merch store and getting a sticker or or a button or something like that. You can check that out at vitermedia.com slash merch. Now, the easiest way to support us is just keep on doing what you're doing. Keep listening, follow us on social media, tell your friends, tell your family, tell everybody. Now, that's all I've got for today. Uh, be sure to check out all everything we've got going on at Vider Media. We've got new episodes of Setting the Skeen every Wednesday and new episodes of Tea with Doug G every Monday night at 9. Now let's get back to the show.
Oh, he does throw us a little bit of wish fulfillment, just like throwing us a bone there. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Maybe Jojo Rabbit did the same thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe it um, maybe it didn't strike me as a problem with Jojo Rabbit because that's based on a novel. And this is based on a true story where that stuff didn't happen. I think it's uh, in Jojo Rabbit, it was also more tonally consistent. Yeah, that's probably true as well. Interesting. Uh, I, I said going into this, I did enjoy this movie. I definitely liked it but I didn't like it as much as I thought I would. And that's kind of those things are, are bringing my score down a little bit just because yeah. some of those scenes were like, it, it seemed like it didn't fit. Um, but maybe, you know, maybe I'm just, this is my first Spike Lee movie and maybe they're just all kind of, you know, he's got his own thing. I don't, what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> I will also say that, you know, coming, coming at this movie after, after like Ma Rainey's Black Bomb or Fences, where like it's so brutally honest. Like, I mean, there there is no guaranteed happy ending. I think that's the biggest reason why that why those two points are like sticking with us. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's a much different ending than we get with either Ma Rainey or Fences, and uh, which I guess we're also all are also two very different innings. Um, but I, I think it's just interesting to see how um, different filmmakers handle um, these like um, very heavy films. Like, do you want to leave your audience feeling like they just got punched in the gut? Do you want to give them a little bit of hope? You want to give them a little bit of hope and then take that away? <laughs> Yeah, um, I I would appreciate more directors um, leaving us with less hope. Uh, just because it's so rare for that to happen, that I just feel like there are instances where you just kind of need to feel that. Yeah, um, that's how. And, I mean, I know that uh, we talked about that during my Rainey's Black Bottom. A lot of times, you need a film to just kind of hit you like that. Yeah, because the you know there's a place for wish fulfillment and there's a place for escapism to fairy tale endings, but um, you know real life has so few of those that it's good to consume some art that is is not going to make you think <laughs> that we're all destined for a fairy tale ending. Um, <laughs> it's just I I think you know it gets to the point where it's like all right we should probably be a little bit realistic about problems in the real world. You know, rather than just saying, oh, it'll probably be fine. It'll be all right. But I also understand that if uh, I, I understand that if that was the case, less people would want to see the movie mm-hmm. because movies are uh, inherently about escapism. Uh, unless you're talking about like a documentary, which it wasn't really like they could have made it a documentary. But uh-huh. they, instead, they made it like a, um, like a, a, a film. I don't know what the difference, the That's different true. terms are. <laughs> That's true. It's not, um, you know, it's based on a true story. It's not a documentary based on the book. They right. decided to make it a script based on the book. <laughs> they made that choice. So they can do what they want with the ending, I guess. Yeah. But I still would have appreciated if they just like let all of it just hit us in the face. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> can we go ahead and talk about the white person's race movie concept? Yeah. Um, I wouldn't dare say that that's what this movie is. I just want to bring up the concept and just talk about some of the things in this movie in light of that. Because, uh, you know, we, we talked about how, especially if it's a white savior film, things like that where, um, you know, you, white people watch these movies where there's tension between uh, white people and black people um, and it at the end of the movie it's resolved and and everything's fine and in a lot of these movies you end up with like apologies coming from both sides mm-hmm. both sides all sides <laughs> you get um you know just and at the end of the movie everybody's singing kumbaya and everything's fine um and you know this this is what we talked about with uh ma rainey's black bottom in particular how that movie does not do that um you don't walk away from that movie feeling okay about race relations or about 
um, the particular stories in, in that movie and how they reflect mm -hmm. African-American experiences, at least in some cases. And so, you know, there are movies that, that deal with racial tension and you walk away singing Kumbaya, or at least I think if you're white, you can get away with it. And then there's movies where you leave feeling troubled and broken and you're mm -hmm. going to lose sleep tonight thinking about how messed up the world is and, and wondering what you can do to help. And I think those movies are the ones that are helpful. Those are the ones that address real world issues in a way that actually motivates people. If we leave the movie thinking, oh, well, they're, they were all holding hands and smiling at the end, so I guess everything's okay now, then we're not motivated to address actual problems in the real world. Right. Now, I do not think this movie is one of those kumbaya movies. Absolutely no. not. No. I don't but think it's problem. one of the kumbaya movies either. Um, but I also don't think that, uh, I mean, I, I can only speak for myself, but I, from, my, from this, I wouldn't expect any white person to walk away from this thinking like, oh, I have to do something about this issue. Because... Uh -huh. And the reason I say that is because the, the villainous white people in this are just such caricatures of uh, of what a racist white person would be. It's like, whoa, whoa at least I'm not one of those guys. Uh -huh. um, and then very conveniently skipping over the fact that, you know, like that scene that we talked about earlier when they asked, why don't you turn in this cop that obviously does bad things? Well, he's like family. Mm -hmm. That's just as bad. Yes. Even okay. though it's it's it was very much a, a smaller point in the movie, but that to me is maybe even worse than the on your face racism. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, going off of that, I mean, there are, there are moments of this movie where you're just like, dang, you know, I can't believe that. I can't believe that that happened, but it has a couple things going against it to be as impactful as I think it probably should be mm -hmm. for one thing. I don't, I don't know why this is, but I feel like it's, often the case if you set if you have a movie discussing race relations set like pre-70s but post 40s i feel like people automatically discount it as well that that was covered up by the civil rights act like mm -hmm. it's it's over it's done with um and then also you have jasper pakokin i think that's how we panacokin panacokin yeah panacokin panacopita um <laughs> uh and Paul Walter Hauser playing the most like stereotypical like racist racists you could ever see like one of them is just big and dumb and slow and then the other one is just so much he's like I got to kill somebody I got to kill somebody and I mean, Bijou hit it around right the head of like most people, God bless them, um, have so little insight and so little like attention or awareness of who they are that they will just see that and be like, oh, well, I'm not that bad or I'm not that off the rails or I'm not that stupid. Like, I don't think and black people should die, but I don't want to live next to one exactly exactly that's an excellent point that's good i mean yeah I, I, yeah Doug, a, a lot of a, a lot of white folks just have a concept of racism that's like this is what it is it's outright hatred of black people or yeah. any non-white group you know and since i'm not one of those cross burning white people i'm not guilty but you're mm -hmm. saying that's not necessarily the case and so bijou you were saying because the police covering each other's butts when they're being abusive, abusing their power, that's just as bad. Yeah. And, and in at least one way, it's worse. It's, uh, it's not as public and easier to defend. Right. It's, it's worse because it's, it still upholds all the power structures that keep white people in power, even though it's not as on its face like, oh, well, I mean, he's just a cop, okay? That doesn't mean that he gets to just abuse his power with reckless abandon. Yeah. That's not okay. And I mean, I think also 
kind of taking it to like a more minor character. Um, like, I mean, the chief, for example, I think we are set up from the beginning to understand that he's kind of doing this out of protest. Like he starts off by saying, Hey, you have to be fully okay with someone calling you a slur on the street. You have to be fully okay with someone in the office calling you a slur. And if you're not okay with that, you can't work here. And it's like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how we're supposed to assume that like, you know, he's on Ron's side because every step of the movie that he, every opportunity that he has to hold Ron back, to stop him from doing something, he takes it. Which is honestly why, and this is a slight tangent, it's honestly why at the very end when they catch that dirty cop, like he's in on it. I'm like, no, 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 you do not, you do not get to be a part of this. Like you have done nothing to support yeah. this situation. You have actively been working against it. Even, even though you haven't been like actively criticizing Ron's work or actively like trying to hinder him, your, your lack of action has done more to hurt this situation than anything. Yeah. The chief was kind of a hard character to read in the movie it was it to me it was very unclear what exactly his motivation was because on the one hand you know he could have just said no we're not doing this investigation period right um but he let uh, uh flip and the other guy i forgot the character's name go in on it and like do the surveillance and all that stuff so but then at the but then at the end of it, he was like, "Okay, cool, destroy all the evidence." Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't I don't know exactly where he was coming from or even what the purpose of his character was. Honestly, it was it was a very confusing, they're very confusing set of actions to me. So the way that I saw uh, the chief is that he is someone who, under everything, like he, you know, he does want to see you know, an end to racism, like he does want to see, like he does support what Ron is trying to do. I don't think that he is publicly ready to stand up for it yet. Mm. Does that make sense? Does I this, can see that. Does this movie give us good models of white allyship? Or are we supposed to look at the white characters uh, on the police force more critically. And I'm th- take Flip, for example. Like, is Flip a good example of a white ally? I don't think he starts as one. Because um, okay. at the beginning of the film, he is very kind of like, I don't know about this. This does not seem like a good idea. It seems really stupid. I think by the end of the film, though, um, like we see him stand up to the other cops when uh, Ron gets um, is uh, fixing to be arrested by the two cops uh, after the bombing. So I would argue that by the end of the film, he is uh, at least a better example of white allyship. I'm um, kind of conflicted on that. I want to say no. Mm-hmm. Um just because, I mean, in that last moment where he stopped Ron from getting arrested, that was a very convenient way to be a white ally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, I'm not even sure if I would really call that being an ally just because, you know, they work on the same team. If it was somebody else that was, if it was a white guy that was also getting arrested because he was attacking a woman, the same thing would happen. Um, but when... I mean, to, to me, it always it always, it kind of comes back to that one scene where they choose to stay silent about a cop they all know is dirty because of uh, fem- uh, uh, camaraderie ties, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that so it, I don't know I, I I don't know exactly where I land on that, but my initial knee jerk answer uh, answer is no. Yeah, I. I don't know either. I, I asked that question having no idea, you know, cause I, like I, 
when you watch movies like this as a white person who wants to be an ally, you you see white characters depicted as quote unquote good guys and and you're you're automatically like, yeah, yeah, that's that's the way I need to be. But that's not always the case. And Spike Lee may have been setting up characters like Flip for us to look at them critically and say, okay, he did some things here that you should not do if you really want to to you know if you want to do better like you you really should not have done what he does in x scene Mm -hmm. so i guess the scene where they you know that that scene we keep coming back to where they sort of defend the abusive cop that would be an example of don't do that don't do as he has done right um so i guess i'm i'm thinking out loud about whether or not i mean ben says he gets better so you know I'm, i'm thinking about out loud about whether spike lee wanted us to look at this and go okay by the end of the movie like He's he's doing the right thing. <laughs> I haven't even seen that movie. Um, <laughs> I'm taking Spike Lee uh, <laughs> movie titles out of context. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, okay, I'm going to... <laughs> this may get cut from the episode, but if this is in the episode and you have not seen Jojo Rabbit, I'm going to spoil something from the ending real quick. I'll try to wrap it up in seconds. But at the end of Jojo Rabbit, there's a character who's been complicated the whole time and um, he saves the main character, the little boy. He saves his life by um, saying he's a filthy Jew, right? And like spitting at him. And, and that actually ends up saving his life because the Americans who've taken over the town remove him to keep him safe, right? That's what happens. Yeah. Something like that. Um, and it's this awesome heroic moment when he pretends to be violently anti-Semitic in order to protect somebody. And I'm thinking Flip does something similar at that big party the KKK threw. It's right around the time that Ron takes a photo with David Duke. <laughs> Remember? And then Flip thinks he's about to get arrested or worse. It, I mean, obviously he could be killed. And Flip comes up still undercover and says horribly racist things to him. Um, and Ron leaves. And that struck me as similar to the scene from Jojo Rabbit. Did, do you guys, do you agree? What do you think? So me not having seen Jojo Rabbit. I'm um, sorry for spoiling it. It's fine. I'm probably not. I, I don't think you said enough to spoil but, it. <laughs> um, but also I uh, kind of see that as uh, Flip helping Ron maintain his cover. Yeah. So I would, I would, put those actions in this is what you do on this job to keep the operation going because they were still definitely in it yeah i think it was uh similar to the scene um where um braun thinks that flip is about to get shot so he causes a distraction and then flip comes out and right. steals the gun to make sure that ron doesn't actually get shot yeah yeah like because, he's doing something yeah, to flip like also god yeah, yeah. So I mean, Flip is also in danger himself too, because I mean, he's a Jew, uh, and if if Ron was to be found out, it, it would be bad for both of them. So it's also partially self-preservation. I mean, he did the right thing for sure um, <laughs> in doing that, um, even though it was a very uh, morally complicated thing to do. Because you just in dangerous situations like that, you just have to do what you have to do to get out. So. Yeah, that's good. So, Biju, is there is there anything in this movie that struck you as that was a moment where one of the white characters actually stuck their neck out just because other white folks were being racist and they decided to do the right thing in the face of it? Because um, the, the moments we've brought up, you've you've pointed out these are all moments where Flip or the the uh, police chief or whoever they're kind of being practical and not necessarily mm-hmm. being moral. Yeah. Um, I don't know that there is one. Uh, and I also don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think this is the movie for that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's the purpose of this movie. Um, I'll uh, real quick. I just want to point this out because I haven't just been 
quiet i've been looking up stuff um and i found a uh i found an interview with the actual ron starward uh and the uh the question that the that the interviewer asked was uh did uh did you find any kind of internal battles with the police department how did you get them to support the investigation uh and ron says uh when i went to get the assistance of the white officer chuck to pose as me for face-to-face meetings the lieutenant, he answered to refuse to give him to me because he thought that the Klan people would immediately know the voice on the end of the phone was that of a black man versus white Chuck walking into a room. I asked him, what does a black man sound like, which is a scene in the movie, and he couldn't answer that question. When he refused to give me the use of Chuck, I went over the I went over to the chief of police and I told the chief uh, what I had done and the chief ordered him to cooperate with me and give me any resources that I needed. That was the obstacle I had to overcome. A follow-up question, how did you get Chuck to stay involved with the investigation? And he goes on to say that basically Chuck had no choice it was an investigation it was his job so i think in answering this question of whether or not we are given um like examples of white allyship i don't think that's a i don't think that's a job that the movie's trying to do i think if you look at the source material you don't see that i think you see people who are told to do something on their job and they just do it uh-huh yeah, there's there just aren't a lot of like civilians in or white civilians in the movie. And the closest that we get to that is, you know, like when they had that whole party with all the other clansmen and their wives, I guess. And I mean <laughs> nobody there was on the good side. So they're just I just don't think there were any chances for that to happen, honestly. Yeah, you're right. Um so we're we're getting into about one hour on this podcast and i think one of the uh biggest things that we haven't touched on really yet is uh spike lee's decision to end this movie with um with actual footage from the charlottesville uh riots which occurred back in 2017 um and you know i think ben said earlier you know if you didn't think you were going to get out of this movie without uh without something like big and in your face that was it um i say i I wanted to say this earlier but didn't have a way to really tie it in uh honestly i think adding that footage at the end um has more potential to inspire action than anything actually in the movie because it's something that's current it's something that is relevant today Whereas like uh, we talked about earlier, earlier, like if it's a movie about racial issues between like 1940 and 1960, it's covered by the Civil Rights Act. Uh, but Spike Lee is like, this is this. I mean, this still happens today. Let me show you. And I think that in and of itself is far more um, likely to inspire action from anybody than anything that actually happens in the movie. Yeah. yeah, that's uh, good. It's it's easy to look at a movie depicting racism from a past decade mm-hmm. and say to yourself, well, the past is the past. Everything's fine now. But Spike Lee doesn't give us room for that in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um I remember vaguely when the Charlottesville stuff was going down and like um I didn't really think much of it just because like it seemed so ridiculous to me. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, is this is this really what's going on? And then I watched this movie and it's like, you see the KKK and their rhetoric and what their objective is. And then you contrast it to what happened there, the footage that they had, they were literally saying the same things. Jews will not replace us uh, and things like that. And it's like, this hate is still here. It did not go away just because it stopped being popular or whatever, or maybe, maybe it never, it never stopped being popular. It just became more hidden. Mm-hmm. Um, and say, or you can look at the fact that David Duke is still active yeah. he ran for office in uh, 2016, I think uh, in a Senate race in Louisiana. Like he is still active. He still has followers. Like yeah, there are I didn't... still people out there who support him. <laughs> I didn't even know he was a, a thing. Like, for me, uh, I mean, I don't, I haven't done a lot of like history into like KKK and all that stuff. I mean, I know 
the general they do bad things and burn crosses and stuff but i didn't know there were any faces or like names that were like actually tied to it that we could identify and it's like oh yeah the former grand wizard of the kkk is just out here living his life like nothing has ever happened and it's like oh really he's still alive whoa it feels like it should have been so long ago right. but it really wasn't he's he's out here and doing his thing and that's not okay either <laughs> right i think it's interesting how uh people try to paint that as so long ago uh like i saw something on twitter uh the other day how about how we only ever see black and white photos of martin luther king jr and i was like you're right and that's so weird because uh it like he I don't know if he would still be alive today if he wasn't assassinated, but it, it wasn't that long ago. Right, right. Mm. But like also to that point and like going off of Bijou's point of the fact that David Duke is still around, like what the heck? Like like there is a certain end point where you don't see any new pictures of Martin Luther King Jr. There is a certain end point where you don't see any new photos of Malcolm X. And David Duke is still like allowed to do whatever he wants. And he did hold office uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s in the Louisiana, I believe, state legislature. He also ran for president in 92. <laughs> So he's wow. had a semi-active political career, but Wild. never really got off the ground with anything. Which at least I can be thankful for that. Um, obviously, there's still a whole lot of other issues there, but I think that's at least a small victory. Yeah, and it doesn't even seem like a ridiculous thing for him to potentially have gotten elected. Right. And, um, you know, because we had Trump which who for all intents and purposes was a white supremacist in terms of his mm -hmm. rhetoric and all that. And now we have uh, Marjorie Taylor green mm. who's like deep mm. in the whole QAnon yeah. thing. Do, do not even get me from, from here, our, <laughs> our own state. And it's like, ah, why, why? <laughs> Don't even get me started on her. <laughs> Don't even get Ben started. But it's, 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 I mean, the, the point is that it's, it wouldn't even be ridiculous for that to happen. I mean, it would be, but it not impossible. It wouldn't right, be surprising. Right. He's, he's just a bad politician, apparently. <clears throat> yeah. This... Yeah. And like, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I, I really do hate it that like, that's, that's the biggest thing that I'm angry about with this movie is that this movie should not have given us like, any of those like fictionalized like hopeful moments mm -hmm. because we are still like the world we live in is just as if not worse than the world that was 1970s america right yeah mm -hmm. it's not that different is it we have not iPhones really <laughs> it's by by a lot of measures it's actually worse yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, good lord! Oh, <laughs> well, I, you know, Doug, you were talking about what is and is not the purpose of the movie. That discussion we just had, I think, was the purpose of the movie. I yeah. think it brought us home right there. <laughs> I will say, I, I was, I was looking up a, uh, I was looking up an interview with Spike Lee, and he said something to the effect of like, if there's a movie that is going to cause conversations about the racial struggle in America, I want it to be Black Klansman. Sure enough, it has. It did Down generate that. a lot of talk. Yeah. It generated one hour's worth of content. Yeah. <laughs> wait, I oh. have just one thing I want to talk about real quick. Yeah, hit it, man. Uh, it was just uh, my favorite scene um, was just in terms of like cinematography, that first scene where he went to the, the rally that was held by Kwame Ture. Mm -hmm. Um his speech and the way that they brought in the black faces with um 
like just like so wrapped up in him and like what he was saying. I just mm-hmm. thought that was just so beautiful. Um, yeah, we didn't really get to get into this that much, but the whole black power thing is only a response to uh, the the white power. Like it, it wouldn't be necessary for that to happen if we weren't being killed in the streets for no reason, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to say this real quick before we score the movie also um, related to that Bijou uh, when, yeah, you, you hear a lot of misunderstandings about what black power means and people thinking that it's just white power with a different color on the front of it. Mm. Um, but it really, you know, those, those are things that evolved differently. They evolved mm. for different reasons. Um, and when I was growing up, almost everything I ever heard about the black panther party was false and i was i was hearing it all from white people um this is (laughs) this is um it's it's like um i when i was growing up for for years i never heard anything about the black panther party from anybody who was black from anybody who was ever involved with the black panther party at all i only heard about it from white folks who really had no idea what they were talking about. And I still today sometimes find myself in conversations with white folks who think and will even explicitly say that the Black Panther Party is just the black version of the KKK, which is very ignorant. And that's the kind of thing that I remember being taught when I was mm-hmm. growing up. And it, it was it was years before I learned that was different. And this movie um, you know, and, and we there may be room to criticize some of the stuff about police in this movie, but I think we have to give it credit. This movie makes the police seem more similar to the KKK than the Black Panther Party. Mm-hmm. This movie has there's a there's that scene with the rally towards the beginning. And then there's the scene at the end when the party's going on and you also get the guy telling the story of the lynching. Those things happening at the same time, those scenes draw this stark contrast between black power and white power and what they actually mean. Um, and, and, and that contrast between the KKK and the black Panther party in this movie with the police force being actually closer to the KKK. Mm. That I think is, is a really valuable thing in this movie. And that's the reason that even though, like I said, I didn't like this movie quite as much as I thought I would, but I would still 100% recommend it. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think those are the most powerful, powerful scenes of that movie for sure. Okay, cool. At least yeah. to me they were. Yeah, we didn't talk about those scenes in much detail. That's unfortunate. We yammered a lot on this episode, which is fine. <laughs> but um, I feel like there's a lot to talk about with this movie too though. So There is. There's a lot to talk about. But yeah, there's I, only I so much say, we can squeeze into about an hour. I yeah. would absolutely recommend this movie and uh I would love for some of those white folks who don't actually know anything about the Black Panther Party to see this. Mm-hmm. absolutely uh, with that said uh, let's score this sucker uh, well if this is your first time listening uh, we use a pretty simple scale uh, 1 to 100 you can kind of think of it like an American grade scale a 100 means it is a perfect film that has absolutely no flaws uh, the scale cannot be broken Doug <clears throat> thank you um, also goes all the way down to a 1 which means that it is a steaming pile of turds we have not hit a 1 yet but I don't think we're hitting a one today. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. (laughs) But it does go that low. We've gotten close. So who wants to go first? I'll go. I'll go. Um, So I love the performances in this movie. Um, I think think the conversations that, uh, that Spike Lee tried to prompt and tried to get started with this film um at least with with us on this podcast i feel like they started and i hope going forward that it's continued that those conversations are continued um i i'm gonna give it an 80 okay i'm gonna give it an 80 Uh, i'm gonna go a little bit higher than you Uh, i'm gonna give this an 85 um I really love the acting in this film. Um, I've mentioned it a few times. John David Washington, Adam Driver, both do an incredible job, I think. Um, and I like that this movie isn't always... Um, it makes you think. And it will make you think for a while. 
And I always appreciate that in a movie. Yeah, I was going to say 83. Um, again, I didn't like this movie quite as much as I thought I would, but there's 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 a lot just like you said there's a lot to talk about about this movie i mean we've been going for an hour and we could keep going mm -hmm. but um short version this this is a good movie and it does a lot of good uh and relatively little that's worth criticizing i think and i would absolutely recommend this movie to somebody all right i'm uh i guess i'm gonna split the difference i'm a, i was actually gonna give it an 82 um i thought it was really great um, I really love the cinematography of it. All the acting was very good. Um, I could have done, uh, I, I would have liked it to have been less caricature um, in some parts, but the I think the biggest part of this movie was the conversations around it um, and continuing those. So yeah, 82. All right. Nice. Well, after plugging that into our patented scorometer. <laughs> Uh, that gives us a final score of an 82.5. So yeah, it's a pretty solid movie. Yeah, definitely. I did not intend to give this the lowest score, but... That happens. <laughs> it happens. It, the scores it happens. don't mean anything anyway, right? Exactly. They 100% do not. Um, so I, I don't know if it was last week or the, or the week before, but I said it's like, whose line is it anyway? Everything's made up and the points don't matter. Right. Yeah, pretty much. Yep. Um, all right. Well, uh, well, yeah, well, that's Black Klansman. Uh, Bijou, thank you so much for being on, man. Uh, Thanks for having me. Did, I, did you have a good time? All right. I did, yeah. Well, good deal. Well, good deal. Well, um, Hey, Doug, uh, I have a question. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what's your question? <laughs> what are we watching next week? Took well, a long time to... I, I didn't think you were going to wait for me to respond. Um, well, oh. folks... <laughs> here's here's the thing okay this week you got bijou edda but guess what if you did not get your edda fix um uh you will get more of it next week because we're gonna have bijou's sister amara edda on and we're gonna talk about harriet starring cynthia arrivo who is a queen good lord love that woman um and uh yeah it's gonna be a lot of fun and uh it should be a good way should be a good movie to close out our Black History Month uh, uh, podcast series. All right. I, yes. I guess that's uh, what we're calling this. <laughs> yes. uh, that will be a lot of fun. Be sure to join us next week. Uh, also, be sure to keep up with us on social media at Vider Media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. Uh, also, be sure to check out the other stuff that Vider Media puts out. We've got new episodes of Setting Scheme every Wednesday and new episodes of Tea with Doug G every Monday night at 9 on Facebook Live and YouTube. Um, until next week, I'm Ben. I'm Doug. I'm Elijah. I'm Bijou. And this has been Setting the Scheme. Y'all have a great week. <laughs>